Welcome to the Women's Pelvic Pain Podcast, your ultimate source of uncensored information on women's pelvic health. In this podcast, you will hear from health practitioners, holistic healers, nutrition experts, and fitness gurus, in addition to people who have or had suffered from chronic pelvic pain, in order to learn and understand everything there is to know about pelvic floor disorders. About one-third of women suffer from pelvic pain. It's an unspoken epidemic. So many of us have it, yet no one talks about it. However, the mission of this podcast is to break the pelvic pain silence. The conversations are intimate, raw, and completely unedited in order to deliver the most authentic information possible. With education, patience, and the proper tools and techniques, pelvic pain can be overcome. So I want to start by briefly talking about how pelvic pain is not addressed enough or properly in the United States. So many women and men suffer from it, yet the majority of doctors can't even diagnose it, let alone treat it properly. While this issue is definitely improving, there is still a tremendous lack of awareness on the topic. Many doctors are so quick to associate pain, irritation, or any sort of discomfort with infection and treat it by prescribing medication, which often just masks the symptoms and in some cases can actually make the underlying problem much worse. This is not to say that traditional medicine is not necessary. It can be necessary and it can be helpful, but it is not the be-all end-all. An integrative approach is what will truly ignite the healing journey. Through natural channels such as physical therapy, diet, meditation, yoga, stretching, and consuming the appropriate herbs and supplements, the root cause of pelvic pain can be holistically addressed and treated. health and wellness coach and I've suffered from chronic pelvic pain for the majority of my life. I think it's extremely important that the audience of this podcast knows that I can relate to this topic on a personal level and that I speak from my own pain, suffering, experience, and healing process and determination to help those who suffer from pelvic pain as well. I would say on and off for about the past seven years I've had symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction and by the way I hate the term pelvic floor dysfunction I just, I don't like it, but I'm going to use it anyways because it is the most applicable term. So I've had symptoms ranging from bladder frequency and urgency to constipation and bloating to sciatica and lower back pain to really bad vaginal burning, itching, pain, and discomfort, symptoms of an infection with actually no infection at all. And because I was misdiagnosed for so long, the amount of unnecessary antibiotics I consumed was just insane. But anyways, over the past few years, I've seen so many doctors ranging from urologists to gastroenterologists to gynecologists. I've had MRIs. I mean, the list just goes on and on, only to really be diagnosed with nothing. However, I knew something was wrong, and we all know how frustrating it is when you know something's wrong with your body, but doctors tell you that nothing is wrong. So I was determined to get to the bottom of this and to figure out what the problem was. So let's flash... Or, yeah, let's flash back to a year and a half ago. Um, 
I started to get really bad symptoms, particularly vaginally. I had this burning and itching that would not go away, bladder frequency that was unbearable. I was going to the bathroom every 10 minutes. Like nothing was coming out, but I still felt like I had to go. And I could barely focus in school or at work. I didn't want to socialize. And I was just in an all around horrible mood the majority of the time. So I finally saw a well-known gynecologist here in New York City who told me that this was all stemming from my pelvic floor and that this was pelvic pain that I was having and that pelvic floor physical therapy would be the best solution for me and that it would actually really, really help me. She told me I did not have an infection. There was really nothing going on internally that needed to be met fixed with medication or surgery or anything it was just my muscles my pelvic floor muscles were in a spasm and I had to go to physical therapy she also told me that there was a range of some other treatments that might be helpful as well but first and foremost physical therapy was definitely a must I had no idea what pelvic floor physical therapy was when I first heard the term and was told that I had to go I was overwhelmed and confused I, I didn't know anyone who went to pelvic floor physical therapy. I ne- I had never heard about it in my life. Um, and I just felt that like I, I was scared and I was determined to get better. But I also didn't know what what this treatment was. Um, but my doctor was very, very, very confident that this was really going to help. And because she was confident, she made me feel confident as well. Um, so I began to go to pelvic floor physical therapy. It took months to feel any improvement, but I did after the first few months start to feel much better. And if you fast forward to now about a year and a half later, I know that's a long time, but I would say that I'm about 85% better. Most of which I attribute to the physical therapy. However, I've also taken some medications to treat and calm the nervous system, which I believe have been helpful as well. In addition, I've been on medicine for yeast overgrowth, which my functional medicine doctor has prescribed me, who diagnosed me with candida. And I'm a huge proponent of embracing a holistic lifestyle. So I get acupuncture. I do yoga. I meditate. As I mentioned, I see a functional medicine doctor. Uh, He put me on a very specific urban supplement regimen, and I follow a strict anti-candida, anti-inflammatory diet. So there's a lot that I've been doing to heal my body. But the bottom line is that pelvic floor dysfunction is complicated and it took about seven years for for me to be properly diagnosed with it. So it is taking time to heal, but I am for sure on my way. I'm feeling better. My mood is way, way better. And, you know, I have more energy. I'm more confident. I'm more optimistic. I also feel so fortunate to have the resources and the help that I have to heal myself and to get to the place that I am And now, and most importantly, I'm so excited to be able to start this podcast and this platform to discuss pelvic pain and to spread awareness and education in order to help others. So without further ado, let's get started. The first two episodes of this podcast are going to be a two-part series, Intro to Pelvic Pain Part 1 and Intro to Pelvic Pain Part 2. I just wanted to start from the basics and I want everyone to know what pelvic pain is, whether you have it or you don't have it. I think that it's helpful to just have a basic understanding of the pelvic floor, pelvic floor dysfunction, and pelvic pain in general. So I've worked with two physical therapists at the PT place I go to. One of them, Kara, is here with us today, and um, the other physical therapist, Erica, will be on the episode next week. So today, Kara is going to discuss with us the basics of the pelvic floor, pelvic floor disorders, and give an overall introduction into the topic. Kara is amazing. She's honestly saved my life. I see her every week, and I would not feel as good as I feel today if it weren't for her. 
So, Kara, thank you so much for being here. I am so appreciative. And why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself now? Hi, Hannah. My name is Kara Mortifolio, and I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist. I've been a physical therapist for about nine years. Um, I started working in a large hospital setting, treating all different kinds of patients. I had an interest in the pelvic floor, so I started doing some work and taking classes on my own. I started here at this clinic about three years ago, and I've been loving it ever since. Well, thank you again for being the first guest on this podcast. I'm so excited to be here talking about the pelvic floor and pelvic pain with you today and spreading awareness on this very important topic. The pelvic floor plays such an integral role in our bodies, and I really want to try and break the taboo and the silence around pelvic pain. It's just another part of our body. We should talk about it openly, just like we talk about every other part of our body so openly. So... That really is my goal for this podcast, and the first question that I want you to answer is what is our pelvic floor and what is the role that it plays in our bodies? So the pelvic floor uh, is a group of muscles that are in the base of your pelvis. It connects from your tailbone to your pubic bone, and it helps support all of the organs of our body. So for females, it supports the bladder, the rectum, and the vagina and the uterus. And then in the males, it supports um, their bladder and their rectum as well. So how the pelvic floor works is that it provides support. So when you cough, laugh, sneeze, or when you're jumping up and down, your pelvic floor contracts to prevent you from leaking and to prevent the organs from falling out. It provides sphincteric control, so meaning when you have an urge to go to the bathroom, the pelvic floor can tighten and it tells your bladder or your bowel to calm down and wait until you get to the toilet. Um, It provides sexual support, sexual arousal, so the pelvic floor can become engorged and filled with blood when you become aroused and it has to contract in order for you to have an orgasm. And it also helps to unload the spine. So if the pelvic floor is tight, then that can cause pain higher up in your spine. So it's a pretty complex group of muscles. They're actually pretty small, but really important. It's so crazy also because I at first knew absolutely nothing about the pelvic floor. I thought it was only related to one very specific part of our bodies, but I now know that it's actually related to everything, to our bladder, our vagina, our rectum, our back, our stomach, literally half of our body. And it's crazy because throughout my whole life, whenever I laugh really hard, I would actually have to pee in my pants, which by the way is not normal, but I would just think, oh, oh my gosh, I'm laughing so hard, I have to pee. Like this is normal, but no, that is really not normal at all. And that is actually a symptom of pelvic floor dysfunction. And I had that problem throughout my whole life. So one really important part of understanding your pelvic floor and the role that pelvic floor physical therapy plays is being able to differentiate between the need to strengthen your muscles and relax your muscles. So will you explain the difference here? So unfortunately in the media and in women's health in general, there's a lot of talk about Kegels and all Kegels are, are a muscle contraction of your pelvic floor. And the gentleman who invented the Kegel back in the 1950s, his name was Dr. Arnold Kegel, he coined the term. So that's the phrase that everybody knows in the media. But most of the time, I would say 85% to 90% of the time, the pelvic floor muscles are actually in a hypertonic state, meaning they're in a tight of 
in a state of spasm. So if you could imagine walking around with your fist closed and clenched all day, when you try to use your hand muscles, you wouldn't be able to because they're too fatigued. So most of the time for people, that's what's happening to their pelvic floor. They're walking around with it clenched and when it needs to work, it's unable to. So that when you were talking about when you were peeing yourself with laughing, if your pelvic floor muscles are clenched all day, when you laugh, they should be able to contract, but they can't because they're too tired from working the rest of the time. Okay, so the next question that I have for you is, how does someone get pelvic floor dysfunction? It's a great question. It can start many ways. Um, Oftentimes it can start with an infection like you talked about. It could actually be a true yeast infection, a bacterial vaginosis infection that is treated and the bacteria goes away, but the muscles can still stay in a tightened or irritated state. And that's exactly what I think the problem that I had was, was that I was suffering from chronic infections for so long But even after the infections cleared, I still had all of these symptoms and all of this pain. And I was taking antibiotics thinking that it would help. It wasn't helping. It was actually making everything worse because I didn't have an infection. And what really was the problem was that my muscles were in a spasm from the infections. And my body didn't know that I didn't have any infections anymore. And my nervous system couldn't relax and my muscles couldn't relax and it was giving me the same pain that the infections were giving me. So basically the physical therapy teaches the muscles how to relax because they've been in this state for so long that the the nerves that course through the pelvis will also get irritated and the nerves can also produce burning and itching. So it does feel like an infection but it actually is not. Now, I mean, the infection needs to be cured, so you need to be cultured, you need to, you know, make sure that if it's a UTI that the culture comes back clean. That's very important. But in the absence of infection, usually it's pelvic floor dysfunction. Other things that can cause pelvic floor dysfunction, any sort of GI disorder, so if you had a tapeworm or if you have IBS, that's going to irritate the pelvic floor. Um, Also musculoskeletal dysfunction, so oftentimes hip problems, hip labral pathology, um, hip, uh, any sort of hip dysfunction can can irritate the pelvic floor as well, low back problems. Uh, Any type of hernia or any disruption in the abdominal wall can irritate the pelvic floor. And then trauma to the area, so childbirth. Uh, any surgeries to the area, including, you know, a labiaplasty, which is where they like trim the labia, uh, a hymenectomy, which is often performed in young women when they can't tolerate having sex, that can be disruptive to the area. Any sort of um, anal fissure surgery or hemorrhoidectomy can also trigger pelvic floor symptoms. So it's really a myriad of issues. You know, stress is also a big factor as well. Can you also just briefly talk about the correlation between interstitial cystitis and pelvic pain? Sure. So interstitial cystitis, by definition, means that there are ulcers inside of the bladder wall most of the time. In order to test for that, to have a positive diagnosis, the urologist needs to fill up the bladder with potassium, which it can be very irritating. So if there are open ulcers inside the bladder, the, the potassium will irritate it and that will give you the true diagnosis. So interstitial cystitis to somebody will feel like, 
chronic bladder pain, pressure, urinary frequency, etc. So you can imagine that if your bladder is irritated all the time and it's painful, your pelvic muscles will tighten up to kind of protect that. And then that can just prolong the symptoms. You know, even if the bladder is healed, the pelvic floor may still stay in this irritated and tightened state. So that's how they work together. I thought I had IC for a while because I had horrible bladder frequency and pressure. And even when I was going to the bathroom, I always felt like I was never fully emptying my bladder. And I was tested for IC twice and I didn't have it. Both tests came back negative. So on the contrary, how can having tight pelvic floor muscles make you feel like you have to go to the bathroom all the time, even if there actually is nothing wrong with your bladder, which was the case for me? Sure. So if the pelvic floor muscles are tight, the pelvic muscles, if you remember, like I said before, attach to the pubic bone and your bladder sits right at the pubic bone. So if that one particular pelvic floor muscle is tight, it's going to pull on the bladder and then the bladder will get irritated and it will feel like you have to go to the bathroom, even in the absence of anything wrong in your bladder. Right, and it's just interesting how it's even so hard for doctors to diagnose what the problem is because I was going back and forth between so many doctors for so long and it's like everyone's confused because, you know, even if tests come back positive or negative, at the end of the day, all of these things are just terms and it's really how you treat the problem and how your body responds to that treatment. Right, exactly. I mean, the thing is, in your pelvis area, there's so many organs and so many nerves and this part of your pelvis is pretty sensitive. It's intended to be sensitive so you can have pleasure. So it can be really hard to definitively pin down a diagnosis. Usually by the time somebody comes into pelvic floor PT, like you did when you came in, they've already received millions of tests and all of them have come back negative. So I would say if you've gone through all this testing and it's all come back negative, it's most likely your pelvic floor. Right. And it's so unfortunate because pelvic floor physical therapy is so important and so beneficial. It's probably one of the most necessary forms of treatment for people who suffer from any form of pelvic pain. And it's the last form of treatment that most doctors prescribe to their patients, when really it should be one of the first forms of treatment. You see it all the time. Patients come in here and they've been suffering for years. I mean, the amount of patients that come in here right off the bat of their healing journey, that's rare. It is rare. I mean, and the really the only patients that come in on their own are usually the the patients that have just had a baby or somebody who just developed symptoms, Googled them and found us. So yeah, I mean, it is pretty sad. I think the problem is that in uh, medical school and residency programs, I don't think that there is enough education and training on the pelvic floor because unfortunately, like we said, the pelvic floor encompasses many different organs. So basically, you'd have to make sure that all the urologists receive training, all the gynecologists, the OBs, the gastroenterologists, but I don't believe that that is their training. You know, there are some fantastic doctors that refer to us, but in terms of the whole, you know, the whole residency training program, I don't think that there's enough. Yeah, and I mean, I'm unfortunately an avid Googler, so when I have a problem, I'm like living on Google, and pelvic floor dysfunction and pelvic floor physical therapy never came up in my Google searches. Like, I had no idea what it was for so long, and I mean... Even now when I talk to people, whether they're my age, I'm in my 20s, or people my parents' age in their 50s, most people still have no idea what pelvic floor physical therapy is. 
They've never even heard of the term pelvic floor dysfunction. It's not a topic that people are familiar with at all. And meanwhile, one in every three women suffer from some sort of a pelvic floor disorder. And what really fascinates me is that in other countries, such as Europe, pelvic floor physical therapy is mandatory after you give birth. Like, it's the first thing your doctor suggests you do as part of the healing and recovery process. So I don't know why in America it's not talked about at all. Yeah, and that's true. In France, um, I believe that any woman who has a baby um, is required or is given 10 sessions of pelvic floor physical therapy, which makes sense to me. I mean, if we think about having any other sort of orthopedic surgery, so let's take if you have a knee replaced, you know, those physical therapists get you up the same day of surgery and they start working on your knee and moving and getting range of motion. But yet having a child, whether it's vaginally or through a C-section, there's literally no aftercare. And that's a huge trauma for your body. So, you know, I think unfortunately in the U.S., you know, women's health care is not uh, prioritized and it's not funded properly. I mean, I hope that that will change. I hope so, too. Um So can you talk about the range of problems you see with the different patients you have and the many symptoms that you treat? Sure. So we treat anybody with uh, bladder issues, including frequency, meaning you're going to the bathroom often, urgency, you have to go right away, any sort of incontinence, any sort of burning uh, pain with urination. Uh, We treat people with bowel disorders, including IBS, constipation, uh, fecal incontinence, so if you're leaking stool. um, We treat patients that have pain with intercourse, um, whether it be burning pain at the vaginal opening or pain with deeper penetration. Also, people that have a lack of sensation with sex. We treat uh, pelvic pain, which would include any of those areas, but you know, pel- pel- chronic pelvic pain as well. And people that have musculoskeletal disorders, like I said, so they may have back pain that hasn't responded to traditional treatment, or they may have hip pathology. We also do treat men. I mean, men have a pelvic floor too. And so for the male symptoms, they may present with um, constipation. They may present with urinary frequency, which could be diagnosed as um, prostatitis. And then that is very common. I mean, especially in young men in the ages of 20 and 30, they don't generally have an enlarged prostate. So most of the time that is pelvic floor dysfunction. But unfortunately, they tend to be misdiagnosed, given antibiotics, etc. So they come to us eventually, but usually after having taken multiple courses of antibiotics. So those are the, the variety of patients we see. It really encompasses a lot. And it explains a lot for me because I realize now that most of the issues that I've had for all these years, such as bladder frequency and constipation and lower back pain, amongst other things, have all been symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction. And even when I was in high school and, and middle school even, I was going to the bathroom like I think every half hour. And at the time, I guess I just thought that this was normal but it progressed throughout my life and these problems only became much worse. Um, So now I guess, tell us what exactly is pelvic floor physical therapy and what do you do in pelvic floor physical therapy? 
Sure. So I would say pelvic floor physical therapy is a more of a holistic approach compared to regular physical therapy, of course, depending on who you're seeing. But, you know, when you come in for your first appointment, we ask you very invasive personal questions. We want to know all about your bladder habits, your bowel habits, sexual function. We want to know about medications, you know, trauma, abuse, you know, everything encompassing that. And then for the examination, we take a look at your spine, your hips, your abdominal wall. Um, And then there's the internal part of the exam, which freaks a lot of people out. So, but it's really not that bad. It's so much more gentle than a, than a gynecologist exam. We do not use a speculum. We use our finger. Uh, We insert it into the vaginal canal. And by inserting it in the canal, when we press on the sides of the pelvis, we can touch the pelvic with gloves and loop and loop yep we can touch the different muscles and what we're trying to see is where we touch does it create your symptoms does it create pain and then we want to see how your pelvic floor muscles work so can you contract them can you relax them and can you push out you need to be able to do all three so that's the female exam for females we can also check rectally Um, And then in males, in order to check their pelvic floor, we do check internally via a rectal exam as well. And I actually found that rectal work was just as helpful, if not more helpful, than the vaginal work because the rectal muscles sit right on top of your pelvic muscles as well, right? Right. So the rectum, the vagina, and the bladder all sit on top of the pelvic floor. When you insert your finger into the rectal canal, you're still touching the pelvic floor muscles. It's just at a little bit of a different angle. And you can get to one muscle in particular a little bit better by doing a rectal exam and treatment. I mean, it's uncomfortable. You know, I tell patients, and I'm sure I told Hannah the first time, it feels like you have to poop. Nobody has ever pooped on me. But I mean, the abnormal sensation is when the finger is in there, does it create pain? Right. And that's what I was about to say is that when I try and explain to someone what it feels like to be in physical therapy, let's say you're working on my pelvic floor muscles, the sensation that I would feel is pressure and, you know, it feels sore and tight. It's not painful, but it's just, it's definitely a sensation that you feel similar to as if you had tight back or neck muscles and you were getting a massage. Like you definitely feel that someone's working on those muscles. Um, Whereas someone who didn't have tight pelvic floor muscles, they wouldn't feel much of any sensation at all. Correct. It would just feel like they're poking around in there. So yeah, so you can tell, I mean, when somebody has pelvic floor dysfunction, I'll usually put pressure on their thigh with my finger and say, okay, this is the pressure with which I'm touching you. And then I'll do the same pressure when my finger is internal and to see what that triggers or what it feels like. Okay. Um, So the next question I have is how have you seen pelvic floor physical therapy help your patients? And I mean, I can say for a fact that this physical therapy has helped me tremendously, but coming from you, the physical therapist, what's the process that you observe and how long does it typically take for people to see improvement? Sure. So, you know, it all, it depends on how long you've had the problem for, you know, in Hannah's case, you, you know, you had it for a very long time. So if we think about it that way, if you've had an issue for seven years, we wouldn't expect for it to get better in like two sessions. Right. And that's what most people think. So, you know, if it's been seven years, it's probably going to take many months for it to get better. You know, I usually tell patients you should start to feel a little bit better by six sessions. But, you know, after that, I'm not sure how long it will take. And, you know, for this kind of physical therapy, we don't do it two or three times a week and maybe once a week. It may be once every two weeks. 
because we give you things to work on at home. A lot of this is figuring out what your pelvic floor is doing and figuring out how to stop it from clenching or tensing up during the day. And I would say it definitely helps. You know, the newest research that came out on treating interstitial cystitis, which is also now called painful bladder syndrome, shows that pelvic floor physical therapy is the number one most effective treatment for IC, which is fantastic. Now, are all urologists referring? No, but it is, you know, the proven treatment for it. Also, for uh, postpartum issues, you know, pelvic floor physical therapy has been, been proven to work. I don't believe there's as much research about uh, constipation, um, but there is research on um, pelvic floor physical therapy and vulvodynia, which is burning vaginal pain at the opening in the absence of an infection. It definitely works. It's Yeah, it's common. It's common. But the, the one thing to keep in mind is that with any sort of issue or pain in your body, you have to take a holistic approach. Yes, we can work on the muscles and teach you exercises and breathing work. But, you know, if you're, you know, having a high level of anxiety or you're depressed or, you know, you're in a relationship that's not making you happy, you're not going to get better until everything's all working together. And that's why I think that your diet and lifestyle and exercise routine has a huge relationship to the way that you feel. I know from my experience that if I don't work out for a few days or I'm constipated for a few days, literally everything is so much worse. My pelvic pain is 10 million times worse. I feel like shit. And honestly, because of that, that's my motivation to eat well, to do yoga, to meditate, and to live this life that fosters healing and complements the physical therapy work. Um, and also, healing healing is waves. It's not all uphill. And I know that I go through some weeks or some days where I feel great and some weeks or some days where I don't feel well. And I think it's important that people know, especially those people who suffer from chronic pain, that that's part of the healing process and that it's not all uphill every day. And that just because you may have some setbacks, it doesn't mean that you're not improving. Right. It's fluctuating, but but the goal is that you know, you may have a few good days and then a few bad days, but the goal is eventually to have more good days than bad days. Exactly. And I guess it's annoying. I mean, annoying isn't the best word, but physical therapy isn't a fast solution, but it's a permanent solution. And although medicine can be helpful, it's not the only answer and you don't want to be on medicine long term. And any permanent solution really does take time and patience. I remember when I asked my gynecologist um, a year, it's been about a year and a month now, so about a year and four weeks ago, I asked her, how long is it going to take me to get better? And she said, give it a year. And I left her office. I was hysterically crying for an hour afterwards, saying, I was, my mom was with me and I was telling her, I can't live this way. I cannot live like this for a year. I was so miserable. And now it's been a a year, a little over a year, and I'm about 85% better. So my doctor was right. It did take about a year. But I would also say that after about four to five months, I started to see improvement. And although it did take a lot of time, I can't stress enough how important it is to try and stay calm and positive throughout the process of not feeling well and reminding yourself that you will get better And also to do everything that you can to keep the stress in your life to a minimum because that really will help the healing process. 
stress makes it so hard for our bodies to heal it weakens the immune system and it's just it's really it's not healthy for you yeah absolutely and you know one of the things that we see with patients that come in is that unfortunately they have been to so many doctors and they may have been misdiagnosed or been told that there's nothing wrong. And I think you could imagine that if you were having pain and somebody told you that, that's gonna make you more stressed, which is going to make your pain worse. And so what that does to your nervous system is it just increases your sensitivity and you become hypersensitive and the nervous system becomes very elevated. So one of the things for treatment and one of the things that we talk about meditation, yoga to help calm down the nervous system. And then the other piece of treatment that you did was the central, the nerve medications, which help your nerves calm down a bit. And you know what? And the medication does help. It's not a long-term solution, but the idea is that if we can calm those nerves down, you can wean off of them. And then in the meantime, we've worked on the pelvic floor. We've taught you how to manage. And by the time you come off, you feel much better. Yeah. And so also you give out dilators to your patients. Can you briefly talk about what a dilator is? And let me preface by saying no one should use any tools before they go to physical therapy and are shown how. I agree. I agree. You know, some gynecologist may just tell patients to buy vaginal dilators. And essentially what a dilator is, is a dildo. It is a medical dildo. They come in different uh, sizes, you know, ranging from as small as a pinky to penis sized or larger. And, you know, it's important to have, you know, your physical therapist or your gynecologist teach you how to properly insert the dilator so you can use them properly and and we use those to help patients with pain with intercourse or if they're having vulvodynia symptoms so the burning pain that can be really helpful and that's to use in between sessions yep to help stretch yeah if the muscles are feeling tight you can use that as a way to stretch and there's another tool called the wand so can you explain the difference between the dilator and the wand so uh, the wand is more of, it's longer, skinnier, and it's curved. It kind of has a hook on it. And the idea of that is you can use it to, u- to put internally to push on the tight spots. So again, I mean, of course, I would come see, you know, a pelvic floor physical therapist to figure out why the muscles are tight. But once you figure that out and you've gone through treatment, it can be helpful for some patients to help do the work on their own. Yeah, I actually found the wand to be really, really helpful in between sessions to just help keep my symptoms calm. I mean, it's not it's not a miracle tool, but it definitely helps. Yeah, absolutely. It can be. It absolutely can be. I just would say I don't think that it's a replacement. But, you know, for some patients, they don't have the time or, you know, the, the, the cost is too great to afford multiple physical therapy sessions, which I totally understand. So if that's the case, then I will absolutely work with the patient on teaching them how to do it. And I also think that a really important first step is actually being able to acknowledge when you're tensing up so that you can consciously relax those muscles. I know that I walk around with my pelvic floor muscles tensed up all the time and I don't actually notice it until I pay attention. And then I'm like, wow, I just took a deep breath. I relaxed. I let the tension go and I actually felt the muscles relax. So it actually really works. It's not just like someone telling you, oh, just think about it and relax. Like it really does work. And whether I'm on the subway or I'm sitting at work or I'm in an exercise class, I'm always trying to be mindful and pay attention to this so that when I am tensed up, I can relax. And this is also something that's so important for anyone, whether you have tight muscles in your pelvic floor or even if it's your shoulders or your neck or your back. 
I also know that a lot of people clench their rectal muscles, which is associated with pelvic pain. Um, but just being able to be mindful of this will really allow you to relax those muscles when they're tight. And we are now at about the 35 minute mark. So I want to wrap up this episode by giving two tips for the audience to take away one tip from me and one from you. So my tip for this episode is the importance of eating well, especially when you suffer from chronic pain. It's so important to eat as much whole foods, organic foods, vegetables, lots of vegetables for fiber, limited fruits, healthy fats, and grass-fed protein, and to avoid processed foods, refined sugars, and carbs, such as white flour, pasta, pizza, and bread. The reason that it's so important to eat well, especially when suffering from chronic pain, is because it really helps to reduce inflammation in your body, it strengthens your immune system, and also helps to speed up the healing process. I mean, it's healthy to eat well, regardless of whether you have pain or not. But when you do have pain, you definitely want to be extra mindful of what you're putting into your body. That's what we all have control over. So, you know, why, why would you not use that to your advantage? Um, and when you have pelvic pain, it's especially important to eat well as well and to drink a lot of water because you want to do everything that you can to make sure that you're going to the bathroom regularly. If you have pelvic pain and you're constipated, your pain will actually become much worse. And I can speak from personal experience on this. What happens when you're constipated is that the pressure builds up on your pelvic floor muscles, causing them to become more tight than they already are and more spasmed. So when you go to the bathroom regularly, you eliminate that extra pressure on your pelvic floor, which will actually really, really help to release those muscles and allow the muscles to relax. So that's my tip of the week. Um, and now, Kara, to you for your tip. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a good tip. It's a good tip. Okay, I have two tips. They're kind of quick. So for bowel movements, everybody should remember that about 15 to 20 minutes after you start eating food, so whether it be breakfast, lunch, dinner, that triggers your digestive system to contract, therefore should be pushing food through your digestive system and you should have a bowel movement at those times so for people that get an urge and push it off all day that is not good for your pelvic floor you need to go to the bathroom when you have an urge for a bowel movement do not push it off that will keep your pelvic floor tighter and my second tip is that for all the ladies out there that hover over the toilet do not hover over the toilet you are putting so much pressure on your pelvic floor and you have to try to push urine out through a tightened pelvic floor, it will just make your pelvic floor worse. So if you hate sitting on the toilet, put a toilet seat cover, put toilet paper, carry wipes with you, but please sit on the toilet. It makes a huge difference. That is the best tip. I'm all about the little things that you can do throughout your day that actually end up making a really big difference. Um, and it's funny because we talked about this exact issue a few months ago when I told you in one of our physical therapy sessions that whenever I'm in a public restroom, I squat, and that I, I really never ever sit on the toilet unless I'm at home, obviously. And you responded that I had to stop doing this immediately and that I was putting additional and unnecessary strain on my pelvic floor when I was squatting, and that I could actually have much less pain throughout the day if I simply put toilet paper down on the seat. So now that is exactly what I do. Whenever I'm out, I put toilet paper down, I sit on the toilet, I never squat anymore, and yeah thank you i mean i think that's just like one little tidbit of advice that it's so easy for anyone to do so hopefully that's something that the audience will take away 
Good. I'm so proud of you. The things you do daily that really make a difference. Yeah. So. Well, thank you, Kara. Thank you for having me. And if anyone is interested in making an appointment with you, can you quickly tell us where they can find you? Sure. So you can come to see us without a prescription in New York State for the first 30 days. So you can just come in. Um, if you get a prescription from your doctor, it just needs to say evaluate and treat pelvic floor dysfunction. If you go to our website, it's www.5pointpt.com with the number five. Um, there's more information on the website. You can email us from there. Or if you call, the number is 212-226-2066. We offer free 15-minute phone consultation, so we're happy to answer any sort of questions about treatment, payment, etc. So yeah, and then you can set up an appointment and we will help you. Thank you again. This was amazing. I'm so, so happy that you are here today and that we did this first episode together. Uh, to the audience, please like this episode in the Apple Store, subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment. I would love to hear your feedback and stay tuned for the next episode. 